In the name of one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today is Gaudete Sunday, Rose Sunday. It's the Sunday of joy, the first candle being hope, and then peace, and then joy, and then love. Gaudete means rejoice. And we also refer to this Sunday as Stir Up Sunday. Listen to the beginning of the collect for today. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. With great might come among us. Marion Hatchett, an Episcopal priest and scholar and one of the primary liturgists who shaped the 1979 Book of Common Prayer, points out that this collect, this prayer, is a leftover from the old Sarum usage. This one remnant is of a series of four prayers which began with excita, stir up. It was used on four of the five Sundays before Christmas in the Sarah Missal. And this prayer sets forth so well the themes of the two Advents, the first in which Jesus came in humility and the second in which Jesus comes in power. The first in which Jesus came to save and the second in which Jesus comes to help and deliver. The Brits have used this colic to remind themselves to make pudding. I'm not kidding. Since most recipes for a Christmas pudding call for the mixture to stand for several weeks before cooking, the day subsequently became connected in countries which use the Book of Common Prayer with the preparation of Christmas puddings and the readiness for Christmas. I see those looks. This is real, real stuff. Supposedly, 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 cooks and wives and servants would go to church and they'd hear these words, Stir up, we beseech thee, O Lord. And they'd be reminded by association of ideas that it was about that time to start stirring up the puddings for Christmas. So, stir up Sunday. Humility. Power. Save. Help. Deliver. Ah, and Christmas puddings. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So why then the vipers? Why the fear? Why John the Baptist? Fire and brimstone every single time he opens his mouth. He's come a long way from leaping and rejoicing in his mother Elizabeth's womb as he senses the presence of his cousin Jesus in Mary's womb. Still, he is the wah-wah of the season. We've come a long way too, haven't we, over the past 21 months? So today we're to put a smile on our solemn Advent faces to celebrate that Christmas is very near The marking of time as we wait for Jesus is almost over. 
So why does our gospel lesson burden us with fear and wrath and judgment? Can we really be saying, rejoice, you brood of vipers? Why so serious? An ebony snarl lying so quietly in wait for an unfortunate victim to wade into its noxious nest. The brood of vipers seems to me to be a perfect image of my own fears. Swirling, thrashing, camouflaged, dimly lit, destructive fear. Fear of God, fear of ruining things, fear of people, fear of germs and death and life, all trembling beneath the water's surface of my spirit, all fleeing from a wrath that is most often of my own concoction. But it's not just John. Even our other bright and joyful readings today are lifted from dimly lit backgrounds. The entire book of Zephaniah is full of terrifying and heartbreaking and depressing poetry that makes John the Baptist sound docile. The prophet Zephaniah, he spends whole chapters telling the people of Israel how rotten they are. And yet he ends with the beautiful, hopeful words that we hear today. And then the apostle Paul, his words, rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. Don't forget, he is writing from a musty disaster of his Roman imprisonment, far, far away from his beloved Philippi. I have found that our rejoicing is never completely separate from our sorrow, is it? Even as mamas rejoice with hearts overflowing before the birth of a child, there are the aches and pains of pregnancy. Expectant joy mixed with worry and pain. The light of the world born in the dismal shadows of a stable. Moments of joy seem to rise upward out of the bleak everyday world, like the glorious body of Christ that extends out from a simple loaf of bread. To rejoice in the Lord seems to be a choice. It is a response that we are able to choose. It is a response that is filled with hope and a faithfulness that abides even through sorrow and grief. It is a response that flows from our bodies and hastens our souls. I read an article recently entitled, 15 Things to Do When the World Feels Like a Terrible Place. I don't know about you, it rang true for me. The author suggests that there is a series of very small actions that will bring welcome light to our fears. Our fears about terrorism and school shootings, racism and refugees, the pandemic and natural disasters. Buy some socks for those who are unsheltered, she suggests. Give away the extra clothes in your closet. 
Be kind to those who serve you. Share your food. Visit an animal shelter. Be honest. Be kind. Be gentle. And do the simple things. Because they are simple things, really. Do what you can, she states. And amazingly, I find that that works. What's interesting to me is that this quest for finding joy in the midst of life's sorrows, it seems to parallel the quest of the crowds in Luke's gospel to find favor with God. And the question then is, do we decide to repent in the same small ways that we choose to live with joy? When the brood of vipers comes out from under the dock and asks John the answer to their predicament, notice what the baptizer tells them. John doesn't tell them grovel before God on their knees. He doesn't tell them to believe a certain way or to do impossible tasks. His advice is surprisingly simple. In order to turn your life around, share your things. Give away that extra coat. Give away the food that you're not eating. Look at the tax collectors. The tax collectors were members of the most dishonest profession in John's day. And they collaborated with the hated Roman oppressors. But notice that John doesn't even require the tax collectors to give up their cushy, lucrative jobs. He just says, don't cheat anybody. Really? Is that it? Is that all? And the soldiers, probably forced into the army by the Romans? I mean, shouldn't they be required to rise up and refuse to fight, to kill the generals in the name of Israel's God? No! Nothing like that, actually. He says, just be happy with your wages. And don't use your power to throw your weight around. Pretty basic stuff, isn't it? If you're a teacher of young kids, you know, pretty basic stuff. Share your things. Don't cheat. Be honest. Be kind. Work hard. Do what you can. I want you to think about yourselves, your friends or your family, your work colleagues, your fitness group. What can you do to be kind? What can you do to be gentle, to be generous, to be people who love? What can we do? How can we make decisions to choose to live joyfully? What are some of the things that you have done? Some of the things that you could do to grow your joy? How do we grow our joy as a community? Just something small, something simple. God doesn't ask us only to do hard things. No kindness is too little to make God rejoice. And indeed, God does rejoice, even over the brood of vipers. Listen to the prophet Zephaniah speaking to his wayward people. God will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on the day of a festival. God singing about me. And God singing about you. God singing about all of us. Can you imagine that? 
throwing a huge party for us, just like the one that the father gave to the prodigal son. That's a reason to rejoice. This rejoicing, it's about the perfect love of God. It's not about what we know is broken in the world. We know the grief, we know the sorrow. We know the sadness and sickness and hurt and pain in our world. This rejoicing is rejoicing that God rejoices, that God rejoices over us, even when we are a disappointment, even when we hide in fear. So let's cover up that nasty water moccasin image with some true joy. Let's put other images in its place. Years ago, I was serving as a simple country parson in a church in northwestern Pennsylvania. And I watched a five-year-old come up from the congregation. He was coming up to receive communion. Now, before I tell the rest of the story, I tell you at coffee hour, this is the same young guy who put olives on all his fingers. He was so confident in the love that upheld him on every side, that as he came up and he stood on the cushion at the altar rail and he was tiptoeing and he had his hands out like this, he waited so patiently, so patiently to receive the bread that just floated above where he could see. And he received his communion and then he swirled it in the wine, and I could see it was almost like he was painting a picture. It was so lovely. It was so lovely. And as he finished, this little boy exclaimed, Jesus makes me strong! (laughs) And his face was lit by a burst of pure joy and pleasure. And as he turned to walk back down the side aisle, he was just kind of doing this little dance, just for a second, as if he was unabashedly dancing with the angels. And time stopped, and I could see him rejoicing in the Lord rejoicing because he knew how much God loved him. So let's just do what we can. Do what we can. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.